Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Linux Reality. This is episode 55, and my name is uh, Chess Griffin. Uh, this week, we are going to begin a multi-part episode uh, series on home servers. Uh, this, sort, this will be sort of the introduction and kind of talk about some of the concepts, uh, concepts and some of the different types of servers and some of the potential advantages and disadvantages and pitfalls and things like that and kind of set the stage for these future episodes. We'll be talking about some of the more specific applications and things. Um, I did want to say, let's see, I got a couple things up front here. Uh, next week, uh, there's not going to be an episode. I'm going to be traveling, uh, so, but I will be back the following week, so don't worry about that. And the other thing is, I've got a new recording setup, and I wanted to, you know, see how this sounds. So hopefully it will sound okay. If it sounds different or weird, better or worse, you know, let me know. Uh, hopefully it will sound better. That's sort of the that's sort of the uh, sort of the point. Uh, I think it will. I hope it will. I've done some test recordings, and I think it's going to sound better. I'm crossing my fingers, but you know, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. So, all right, enough of the initial chit chat. Let's get right to it. Home servers part one. Okay, servers, and home servers specifically. What is a server? This is probably a basic question for a lot of you out there, but uh, for others it may not be, and uh, I thought that's why I kind of wanted to cover this topic. A server is uh, it's basically a computer system that provides services to other computer systems. Um, the, uh, the one that is providing the services is therefore called a server, and the computers that are requesting the service are usually called clients. Now, uh, you can have a, a, a server as a piece of hardware. I mean, a physical machine or box can be a server. But you also often hear uh, the word server applied in the context of a piece of software, like the Apache Web Server, for example. Uh, that's a piece of software that does, it, that does the serving. And what is being served, or maybe how it's being served, can be different. That's that's sort of where these different types of servers come into play. Uh, you know, in a, in a very general sense, you can. I mean, some of the basic kinds of servers are uh, email servers, uh, web servers, meaning uh, something that serves up web pages that you can view either on the internet or perhaps just locally within your your. Uh, local network or your intranet, if you will, uh, you can have um, uh, file servers, machines that are there to serve files to other computers. You can have print servers, uh, you know, machines that have printers attached to them, or, you know, some print servers can be the printer itself. In other words, some printers have sort of a built-in print server. Uh, you know, and some of the more fun stuff, you can have a, uh, you can have a music server, you can have an FTP server, uh, you can have uh, a Myth TV. I've mentioned Myth TV before. Uh, it has a server component. Uh, there's lots of different kinds of PHP applications. Well, not just PHP. There's lots of different scripts and applications and things out there uh, that you can install and having running running on some kind of server. You know, there's forum software. There's you know PHP calendars. There's to-do lists and you know all different kinds of things that kind of that more or less need some kind of uh, some some different pieces of software on, on which to run and they provide some kind of access they provide something to the computers or to the users that are connecting to it whether it's music or you know a way to print or files in the FTP server or the ability to view a calendar so there's lots of different kinds of servers 
uh, out there, hardware servers, software servers, and obviously sometimes you're going to have the software servers running on a dedicated piece of hardware. Now, you don't necessarily have to have a dedicated piece of hardware. You can have a, just a local workstation uh, that's running the Apache web server, for example. Now, there's going to be some advantages and disadvantages to doing it that way, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But the point being is that um, you know sometimes people say, well, I don't have a, you know, an extra machine to stick in the house, so I can't run a server. Well, that may or may not be true. I mean, it just I mean, it depends on what you're trying to do. Uh, but uh, oftentimes, servers do run on, on separate machines. I, in, in the, at various times in the past, I have run my own email server. I've run my own web server, uh, my own FTP server. Um, and, uh, as it stands today, I've done, I've moved that email to an offsite location, uh, with a, you know, a regular web host. I'm not doing the FTP stuff anymore. I don't really have a need for it. Same with my web server. I currently, as, as right now, at least have it, have it back with a web host. Although I, I may be moving that back to my own, uh, box, but I still currently run a file server. I have a print server. I have a myth TV server. Uh, I have a music server. I have a backup server. Um, and those are not all separate machines. <laughs> those are just, you know, a few different machines. But So you can have, in other words, one machine doing multiple jobs. And again, there's advantages and disadvantages to that. Uh, so, you know, why would you want to run a server? What's sort of the point? Well, uh, you know, um, I guess, well, there's lots of reasons. One is uh, full control. Uh, you can really set it up exactly the way you want. Uh, you can uh, maybe do things that you know if you if you wanted to run a web page somewhere else that maybe you maybe they wouldn't let you do or you know there's different you know you again you have more control. Um, uh, you, you know you could want to do it just for a uh, learning experience. That's that's a, a big reason why I've set up some of my servers, uh, especially with the email server. I just I really wanted to spend some time and learn how to do an email server. So it was just more out of a desire to learn. Uh, but you know, generally speaking, for most people that are going to run you know an actual any kind of server, it's 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 for control uh, and or for ease of use or to make your life easier. I mean, for example, a file server. Uh, you know, there's lots of different appliances and things that you could buy out there that could be sort of a you know a standalone file server, if you will, like a like a you know network attached storage type thing, or you could just stick, have a USB drive attached to your hard drive attached to your workstation as a as a quote-unquote file server. In other words, you could set it up to share, you know, as a shared directory or something like that. But there are some advantages to having a dedicated file server. Uh, and, and so, and, and same with a print server. You know, you can always set up uh, a printer attached to a, a workstation and, and let other printers or other computers print to it. But if that workstation is down, you may not have access to the printer. So there's, you know, there's some advantages to having a separate print server. So it just, again, depends on what the need is and, uh, and, and you know, what you you know, what you, how you want to fill that need, whether it makes sense to have your own server. Now, there are some, you know, potential issues and things to think about when, when debating on whether or not to set up your own server. Um, there's, well, there's lots, but, but some of the ones that come to mind are probably the most important, probably the biggest potential problem is one of security. You know, if this is a server that's going to be access, that's going to be accessible by the outside. Let's say you decide you want to run your own web server and and have your own website hosted on your own machine at home. Well, if you really want people from the outside to be able to view your website, you're going to have to make it accessible. And you know, more often than not, what that means is opening a hole in your firewall or your NAT router and doing a you know a port forwarding of port eighty 
to that particular machine. And that's uh, obviously, you know, there's a security implication to that. And it can be pretty severe. Uh, so, uh, you know, same if people want to run an email server at home. I mean, those those are notoriously, I mean, you know, an email server is a challenge to set up and maintain. And it can be very insecure. And you've really got to do a lot of things to keep it secure. And it's that's kind of a hassle. Uh, and, and so there's, you know, there's a hassle factor as well. But uh, but the security is probably the number one potential problem, I think. And people really need to, you know, think about whether or not it makes sense to run a server at, at home that's going to be, ex- you know, accessed from the outside. Now, like I said, there's lots of servers you can run at home that are not accessed from the outside. My file server, my print server are perfect examples. Those are not, you know, those are not exposed to the outside world. So it's it's no big deal. I have it set up at home, and it's for, it's for you know, all my local clients to access. Uh, you know, my Myth TV server is the same thing. It's, it's, again, it's something that's going to be accessed from the inside. And obviously some servers can, can, can be set up both ways. You access from the inside and the outside. So, you know, obviously security is, is one of the biggest potential problems. Uh, there's also a potential problem of, of what happens if your own server goes down. Uh, this was the one issue I ran into with my email server is that, you know, obviously we all rely on, on email and having reliable email access. And if your email server is at home and if your lights go out, or if your machine breaks down or whatever, um, you're not going to have access to your email. Now, there's obviously things you can do to set up, you know, you can have backup email servers that you pay for, you know, maybe off-site uh, for a low fee because they're not generally going to be used because hopefully your email, your your primary email server is not going to go down. But, but but again, at that point, then you're, then you're sort of like, well, why not just pay for regular dedicated hosts and get a regular email account through them with my, you know, set up my domain and just not deal with it. So, you know, again, there's some, those are kind of some of the cost benefit analysis part of, of the, of the picture. Uh, but anyway, so, so, you know, security is one potential problem, you know, what, how to deal with downtime, you know, you could potentially deal with the downtime by making sure you have a good UPS. But again, the point being is that that's something you got to think about and, 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 uh, and take care of another potential down down side is, is, you know, additional energy costs, electricity costs. If you're going to have a separate machine, it's going to draw power, and it's going to be increased uh, heat at home and increased utility bills and and that sort of thing. So that and you know where do you put it? You got to find space for it. And at some point, you know, especially with me, I'm looking around at my office right now, and I've got you know a bunch of junk all over the place, a bunch of you know computer parts, and and I've got four or five computers sitting over here in various stages of repair and assembly. That uh, you know, it's just the stuff kind of collects, but. Uh, you know, uh, if you're lucky and have a, you know, a wife or somebody who's very understanding, that's, that's a big plus. <laughs> so, but those are, you know, some of the potential problems of, of running your own server, especially if it's going to be a dedicated machine type server. Uh, you know, again, you can run servers or services on your local workstations, but you know, there's some of the, some of the disadvantages of that is they're not, they may not be accessible all the time. If you dual boot your, your workstation between windows and Linux, and you want to have your web server running on your Linux when you have it, you know, when you have Linux booted up, well, it's not going to be up all the time because when you reboot, that server is going to go down. So, you know, again, that's just something to think about. But again, some of the potential benefits are you really learn a lot. And I think, you know, I think one of the best ways to learn how to do this kind of stuff is just by trying it out and, you know, reading documentation and, and, and just doing it and, you know, learning it and figuring it out and, and making mistakes. That's going to happen. Uh, but you, you, you know, it's fun to learn that way. 
I think. Uh, not, not everybody's into it. I've, you know, I'm not trying to convince people to, to set up servers. If you're not interested, don't do it. But uh, if you are interested, you know, one of the benefits of doing it is it's, it's fun to learn. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a new thing to learn about computers. It's also, I think if you're going to really use it, it's much easier to manage, I believe. And uh, you really have full, having the full control over the server is a big deal. I mean, when I had my own email server, it was nice. I mean, it was a, it was a pain to, to maintain for sure, but it was also very nice because I could really tweak things and set up things and, I mean, I could do a lot of things my own way, exactly the way I the, the way I want. So there are some real advantages to that, and depending on your needs and your setup and and all that, it can be cheaper. Um, you know, if you've got an old spare box lying around anyway, and if you're if you need to throw up a really simple website and you make sure you know you take care of the security issues with your firewall and all that, well, then there's no need to pay even the most cheap web host because you could do it for free. I mean, you've got the, you've got the box. You can put Linux on it. You can install Apache, install whatever else you need, and forward your port and set up your website. And there you go. You haven't paid anything, other than I guess the you know the the additional electricity cost of maintaining the machine. But so it can be it can be a lot cheaper. Again, it just kind of depends on the situation. Uh, for some folks, it makes sense, and for others, it doesn't. But these are going to be some of the things that you know I want to take a look at in this little mini series of, of episodes, I guess, on servers. I mean, and you know, I'm, it's not going to get too detailed. I want to bore people with how to set up an email server um, because there's a lot of documentation on how to do that. But I, I want to talk about some of the experiences I've had with setting up different servers and some of the little, you know, I mean, I'll talk about some of the configuration in a general sense, but I also want to talk, touch on some of the some of the you know sort of the big picture pitfalls I ran into in in doing things and uh, and you know that that sort of stuff. So uh, stay tuned for some of the additional uh, topics. Uh, you know you can probably imagine we'll be talking about Apache and maybe some email and and uh, file and print servers and and that kind of thing and backup servers and stuff like that. So there's a lot of different kinds of servers and it's it's you know and there's I mean there's so many more. I mean these are just kind of the big names, but I mean there's people that have I mean, there's different applications for, you know, I was listening to the Linux Link Tech Show last week, and they were interviewing this guy who's got this project called ZoneMinder, and it's like a video security camera application, you know, where you can set up webcams or video cameras or whatever around your house and and have it monitor your back door and and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, you can log in and, and view the clips and that sort of thing, and there's all different kinds of stuff you do, but it basically runs on a, on a, on a, LAMP server, LAMP standing for Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. So it's that's a server. I mean, it's a server running video monitoring tools, but it's a server. So there's lots of other kinds, but we'll kind of be hitting some of the highlights and things like that. So I think it should be a lot of fun. Uh, what we're going to get to next is um, I've got a, a quick little listener tip here that we'll play, and then uh, we'll move right into the uh, feedback. I've got one audio comment with a with a nice little plug about the Ohio Linux Fest, and then I've got several email feedbacks that we'll read as well, and then we'll be all done. So let's get to this listener tip first. Hey, Chris, it's John again. Uh, I've talked to you a couple times before. Uh, regard, this is a totally different subject. I know you've been talking about Linux in schools and stuff like that. Um, maybe a, a archive or, or source to go to. Uh, I've been scouring the Internet a little bit. Uh, Win for Lynn. 
uh, .com, what it basically, in a nutshell, is is you run a server or multiple servers running whatever flavor of Linux that you prefer, and then you run Windows, one version of Windows on top of that, which would then feed however many clients there are. I mean, the number of clients is really unlimited. It's so it's maybe a direction for the schools uh, because then you could have Windows working in Linux and you could kind of use both. You could use uh, Microsoft Word because it's still one version of the software dispensed to however many clients. Just thought it was a thought. Thought you might appreciate the tip. Um, thanks. and Oh, thanks for your podcast. I look forward to it every week. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Jess. My name is Simone Ruiz, and first of all, let me say, great job. I heard you over on the Linux Link Tech Show and decided to check out your show, and I've been really impressed. Anyhow, this is some audio feedback about Linux and education, which you discussed a few episodes ago. The state of Indiana's Department of Education has been working on an initiative called Indiana Access, or InAccess, where they've been awarding grants to high schools around the state in order to create one-to-one access classrooms. One-to-one stands for the ratio of computers to students. So in other words, every student has their own computer at their desk the entire time they're in class. I work as the technology assistant at one high school that has received two such grants for a total of nine one-to-one classrooms. That's almost 300 workstations. In order to make this remotely affordable, all the Indiana Access computers are required to run Linux. Since Novell worked closely with the state on the planning of this, most high schools are running the SUSE Linux Enterprise Desktop, but they're not required to do so. In fact, at one other school I'm aware of, they've chosen to use Red Hat, and at my school, we've chosen to go with Ubuntu. I cannot speak for the other schools, but at my school, the biggest barrier to this program has been the fact that the existing technical support structure here is not equipped to support a different operating system. Our corporate IT department is understaffed and highly specialized in supporting the homogeneously Windows network that existed before this program. So they've washed their hands of these classrooms. As a result of this lack of official support, I've had to provide all the support myself on a volunteer basis. I didn't know anything about Linux when I started, though incidentally, your podcast would have come in very handy when I was first starting out. Thankfully, though, I found the great community that exists out there, and they've supported me through this task. I joined my local Linux users group and a variety of mailing lists and I've been surprised at everything I've been able to accomplish and learn. I've just received a job offer that I can't afford not to take, though. So I have a great feeling of apprehension about what's going to happen to these classrooms when I leave. I'm doing everything I can to leave good documentation for whoever succeeds me in this endeavor, hoping someone does. But I don't know what will happen, since the school district hasn't felt it necessary to provide support up to this point. I hope my departure jars the school district back to reality and that they decide to invest a little in supporting this program because I believe it deserves that chance. So the lesson to be learned here is that simply throwing technology into classrooms doesn't work. Without support, any technology-based program in schools will fail, regardless of whether it's based on free software or proprietary. By the way, I look forward to meeting you at this year's Ohio Linux Fest. I just want to encourage any of your listeners who can attend to do so. I went last year, and it was awesome. The all-volunteer crew does a remarkable job. I wouldn't miss it for the world. 
I would also encourage them to go ahead and pay the registration fee, because the warm, fuzzy feeling you get from supporting this fantastic community event will be quite worth it. And if they can, they should come to the after party, which is a lot of fun. I'll see you all there. Anyhow, thank you for doing the show, and take care. Goodbye. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's a uh, great comment, and uh, it's some really good points there. And you're right. You're right. I mean, about the support of, of any kind of technology in the classroom, uh, whether it's windows or Linux or Macintosh or whatever. I mean, if the support isn't there, if the people aren't doing it for the right reasons, then it won't work. And that will, that would actually probably make it worse. Uh, I mean, I certainly would not want a school or any other institution to adopt Linux without really wanting to, uh, or really be interested in it. Uh, you know, simply doing it because someone says you have to, or because it's the thing to do, that's just not the right reason, and it will it will not work. And so, I think those are those are some good points. And uh, uh, thanks for the uh, information about the Ohio Linux Fest. Uh, yeah, I've been talking about it, and I will keep mentioning it from time to time. I'm really looking forward to it, and I do encourage folks to to register. Um, it's sixty five dollars, and like I said before, I think it gets you a T shirt and some free drink passes and just some other stuff. And really, it's just a way for them to raise a few bucks and to help put on the show. So. I mean, sixty five dollars is not is not that much, really, for 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 a good weekend. So, uh, thank you very much for that feedback. Let's see, I've got some emails here. Uh, first one is uh, from Carell, and he says, um, "Let's see, I'm a longtime listener of Linux Reality, episode two or three, I think, and I must say that I'm really enjoying the show. The first install of Linux that I've that I've ever used was from an Infomagic CD that I purchased in a computer store for five dollars that came bundled with Slackware." Red Hat, and Debian. Uh, let's see, at the time, 1995 or 96, if I recall, Red Hat was the only one whose X Windows supported my graphics card on my 386. So I'm a longtime user of Red Hat. I think you are doing a great work for the Linux community and a big difference. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that could be using Linux, but don't simply, simply because they don't have a certain level of technical awareness. This layman's terms podcast certainly is a huge leap to help us take a first step towards using Linux, especially when you compare it with some how-tos. Even I, after 22 years of programming experience, don't even completely understand. I'm currently looking into using a gumsticks, and I guess that's www.gumsticks.com. As a home server, I don't have any file storage needs, but I do have some database processing needs and am simply amazed at how incredible those little units are. While it may seem odd for me to use one of those devices as a server, please bear in mind that, I, that like most Linux users, I want things to work my way. And the fact that I can actually take one of those devices and hide it in something as small as an electrical outlet <laughs> suits me just fine. Plus, it uses a lot less electricity than its 400 megahertz desktop equivalent with a 420 watt power supply. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to the next episode. Uh, that's from Corral. As you see, there you go. He's talking about the electrical drain of running a uh, home server. So uh, thanks, Corral. Here is one from Randy. Uh, Randy says, hi, Chess. I am an old geek, 61 years old and a retired MCSE. I had never played with Linux until just about a month ago. I was listening to Leo Laporte, the tech guy, and he was mentioning Ubuntu, and I thought, well, that would be fun to load on an old PC and play with it. So I did. I was very surprised to see how many applications were loaded with it and how nice the GUI was. I always assumed that Linux was like DOS. Ha. I found out about your podcast on the Steve Gibson Linux News Group. Great bunch of guys, by the way, and I'm listening diligently, try, trying to digest as much as I can, as fast as I can. Thanks so much for your help to us new Linux users, even us old ones. 
I'm not ready to make the switch from Windows to Linux yet. I'm finding much about Linux very frustrating and confusing, like bootloaders and the file system and trying to load new software. Many times I just give up trying to install something new, like Java. It just isn't worth the effort, and I go back to Windows. Anyway, it is fun to play with, and thanks again. Your podcast is definitely clearing up the cobwebs. From Randy. Well, great, Randy, and I am really glad that you've taken the plunge and just, you know, I think he posted in the forums as well, and I just told him to hang in there and stick with it, and it can be frustrating, but, you know, we've all been there. We've all been new users at one time for, or another, and uh, that's what the community is all about, and that's one of, I think, Linux's biggest strengths is the community and the forums and, the you know, the Ubuntu community that you said you mentioned, you know, you're using Ubuntu are fantastic, and the forums there are fantastic. So just ask. Ask questions if you get stuck, and people will be happy to help. Here's an email from Paul. This is actually a follow-up. He emailed me uh, recently. I read his email previously about Linux in schools. Um, he says, Hi, Chess. Just thought you'd like to know that after a review of Edubuntu with Child's Play, my son's daycare center has put in a request for a rollout of Linux desktops to replace their aging Windows 95 PCs, which the children have to use now. Um, all up, I have about six computers to program and set up for the children. I have volunteered my time to do this. Yet another example of a good decision made when all the options are made available. Cheers from Paul. That is great, Paul. Paul, I think he was the one in Australia. He said that he was working with his son's daycare on that issue, and it sounds like you know another win. And uh, you know whether it's six computers or six thousand computers or sixty thousand computers, every little win helps. And and it, most of the wins, I think, are not the ones you read about in the news, but are the are the small rollouts. Like Paul's son's daycare uh, is a perfect example because. It's just the little things here and there that we all do to help spread the word and show people what Linux can do and, and help uh, rejuvenate old computers. That really makes all the difference. So thank you for that follow-up, Paul. And last email here is from David. Uh, David says, Chess, thanks for a great podcast. I've been listening for over a month now and have learned a lot in this short time. I installed Linux a few years ago but didn't do much with it. This time around, I'm going to stick with it. I've installed FreeSpire and Ubuntu Edgy and tried out the live CDs of several other distros. I'm currently using Ubuntu on my laptop, and it's working out great. And I just installed Barrel 0.2.0, which is very nice. I'm also doing dual booting my iPod with a Rockbox. It's not Linux-based, but it is open source, and now I can listen to the show in awe. Keep up the good work from David. Cool, David. Thanks very much, and I'm glad you're enjoying Ubuntu and uh, Rockbox. And that's something that I've got to put on one of my old iPods. I played with it a while ago, but... I've got an old iPod. I generally don't use my iPod. I've got like a little MP3 flash player and iAudio 5, and that works great. I love it. Um, but uh, sometimes I need to have a little bit more music with me, and so I think I'm going to dig out my old iPod. It's a third generation, I think, and put Rockbox on it. So anyway, thank you, David. Uh, thanks, everybody else, for all the emails that you all have sent and everything. And it's, I've been very appreciative of all the emails, and uh, thanks so much for taking the time to do that. We're going to wrap it up for this week. Okay, everybody. Well, as I said, uh, uh, next week I'm going to be out of town, uh, but I will be back the following week. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this uh, particular episode. And as I said, we're going to pick up this topic with the, with the next episode, and we will just move right into uh, the next several episodes talking about servers and home servers and how to set things up and configure things and different things to think about, the advantages and the disadvantages and some of the potential problems that I've come across, at least, with some of the servers that I've set up and, and maintained over the years. So 
Uh, again, thank you so much for the emails and, and for the donations and the participation in the forum and everything. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, please feel free to send an email to linuxreality at gmail.com. You can also call the listener hotline at 206-338-6359. And there's also, of course, the Odeo web-based service. There's a link to that on the Linux Reality homepage. And that is working pretty well, so feel free to use that, and I will get those audio files. So thanks again, everyone. Have a great week. Actually, a great two weeks, I guess, or a week and a half or whatever. I will see you basically two weeks from today. And uh, in the meantime, have a great one. Have a great uh, couple of weeks. Take care, everyone. This has been Episode 55 of Linux Reality. Bye-bye.